Welcome back, everybody. This is Around with Stephen Cole. I am one of your two regular co-hosts, T. Cole Newton. We are coming to you pre-recorded from my bar, 12-mile limit in the heart of Mid-City, New Orleans. As with me, with me as always, is my adorable co-host, Steve Yamada. Hello, everyone. I'm 90% dipples. Dimples. Dipples. What is a dipple? I dipple? dipple? I don't know. It's like a, a, a rimple. A, I know what a dimple is. I know what George Dickel is. I don't know what a dipple is. <laughs> dipple. I assume that there's a th- something called a dipple that someone will Google on our behalf and then send us an irate email for not knowing later. Then they might hate on us for not knowing what a dipple is. Well, speaking of which, we're talking this week <laughs> about things that get hated on for no real reason. There are a lot of movies that everyone just loves to trash, a lot of classic cocktails that people almost refuse to make. And I don't necessarily always understand the root of this sort of... It it feels elitist, and it feels wrong-spirited. And there's a, so we're going to be talking about why people hate certain stuff, things that we think people hate on for no good reason, and maybe some things that we actually really don't like ourselves. Right on. Uh, now, while I was mispronouncing the word dimple as well, did we have to mention our our, our uh, esteemed guest here with us today? With us once again from the Broad Theater and Trivia Night here at 12 Mile Limit is Mr. Michael Domang. Say hi, Mike. Hi, guys. Uh, it's good to be back here for another round of interesting conversation in podcast world. <laughs> well, I, I almost hate to kind of loop you into this a little bit, Mikey, because uh, it's kind of making you seem like you're an expert on hating on things a little bit. I, and I don't want anybody to think that. We, <laughs> we, we, this just happens to be the topic that we're talking about. We're not like, oh, you know what we want to talk about? Let's bring Mikey here because he knows how to hate on things. I, I consider myself to be a very positive person in life, in fact, so I don't know if this is my forte. Uh, when I was approached on the subject, it took me a while to think of things that I actually hated, but uh, we'll give it a try. Here. Well, I think we're, 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 we wanted you here to talk, specifically in the film world, about why certain movies just get shit on, for lack of a better term. So how much time do we have about from <laughs> Justin to Kelly, and can we talk about anything else? Uh, I'll, I'll throw a perfectly good example out okay. of here. Um, so uh, I went to go see Rogue One at the Broad Theater, mm. and you were working that night. Yes. Um, I actually saw it there twice because it was it was so good. But I remember coming out, and like uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. I was processing all the information as well. And uh, you were like, so, man, that was a great movie, right? And it's like people have been complaining about plot holes to me, and I just kind of looked at you like, yeah, man, how about that whole Bothan thing? And you just went like, no, that's the wrong movie. You're thinking about the wrong thing. Stop what you're doing right now. So you kind of shut down the hate right there. So I think that's that positive thing coming through. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny because one of the most random things we have to deal with at the broad is when we get comments on either our Facebook page or social media that aren't about the theater itself, but just about hating the movie that they saw at the theater. (laughs) Like they just, some people feel the absolute need to leave negative reviews about our movies. And we don't know, we never respond to any of them because we just don't know what to say because it feels weird to apologize if we provide a good service and we welcome you to the theater and you hate the movie. (laughs) (laughs) What movie has generated the most feedback of that nature that people just complain to you at the theater about the quality of the film that you saw or they saw? All right. So this will be a movie that neither of y'all have seen. It was called Tale of Tales. And it was... I wanted to see that. It's a, that was the one with Selma Hayek eating a giant heart? Exactly. I had a man watch about 20 minutes of that movie 
walk out and proceed to rant at me for another 20 minutes about how movies should have stories. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was, that was his big, huge complaint. It was like, I just watched 20 minutes of footage without a plot. And I, I didn't have the heart with my film school degree to be like, you know, actually, <laughs> it doesn't really need, I mean, films are better to me when they have coherent stories, but there are great films with plots that make no absolute sense at all. I mean, Orson Welles made about three or four of those in his career. Right on. Uh, <laughs> I'm just processing that right now. That sounds absolutely hilarious. Um, speaking of movies and kind of like, um, I'm going to throw it out there where you might be a positive influence, Mikey, and I think I'm a positive person, but I, I walk around like Patton Oswalt just being like, I hate this, I hate that. That's the worst <laughs> thing in my life. That person should be shot over that, and that's a horrible thing to say. Nobody should really actually say that because, like, that is dumb. But um, uh, I would say from a movie perspective, I uh, the worst movie I've ever paid for in theaters uh, it, the the current one was displaced last year by a movie I paid for to see in theaters, and it was Suicide Squad. It was the uh, worst movie I've ever seen in theaters. Paid for, paid to see in movie mm-hmm, theaters. Mm-hmm. I've been to sneak peeks. Uh, I, I I saw a sneak peek of uh, Warriors of Virtue when I was a kid, and that was terrible. But mm-hmm. um, uh, the the movie the, the before that though, and it took many years, but it was Bulletproof Monk. Bulletproof Monk mm. was the was the champion of the worst movies I'd ever paid to see until Suicide Squad came along. So, congratulations, Will Smith and everybody involved with that project. Y'all are Oscar winning champions. Exactly. I was going to say the Oscar winning film, Suicide Squad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because I spent a lot of time going to film. In its defense, it's, the makeup was really good. In Suicide the makeup Squad. was fantastic. Was um, I went to a lot of film festivals in my time in college. Went to South by Southwest a number of years, so I can get into all the bad movies I saw at film festivals. But the worst movie I ever paid a ticket to see. This would have been in middle school. <laughs> and I paid to see a movie called Sugar and Spice. Oh, I remember that. And this There's... was a movie about cheerleaders who rob banks. Mm-hmm. A lot of potential there. It's such a great concept, um, but so poorly executed, so poorly put together that even eighth grade me, who is my most positive version of me, is eighth grade me, mm-hmm. hated that movie and, and didn't have the heart to ask for a refund because I, I was too shy. But that <laughs> would have been the perfect opportunity for me to get my money back for a movie. Too bad they couldn't complain. Too bad Facebook wasn't around then because you could have just like trashed the laid theater. Laid into it. it. Like, by the way, why are you showing this garbage? I really had a hard time last year with Sausage Party, to be perfectly honest. A lot of people good. really liked that movie. It got a lot of positive acclaim, and I saw it in part because of the critical response. But at the end of the day, I was like, this is, this is crude and vulgar without any of the, like, and neither of those are problems for me. I'll see movie with blue content, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Excuse me for using a, term of a septuagenarian would for <laughs> obscene language but that was it just wasn't funny there was like a lot of a lot of ethnic humor a lot of rape humor and not enough redeeming qualities and there were some good scenes in it but overall it just it made me feel like a worse person for having seen that movie we're gonna so talk this <laughs> hate 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 we're gonna talk a little bit party. more about things that we hate and i have a feeling coles is just gonna be you darn kids on my lawn <laughs> <laughs> i do want those kids to stay off my lawn <laughs> 
All right. Uh, yeah. So it's funny, like the things that come up typically with this conversation. So I hate this. I hate that. Uh, moves are a big one. Music's a big one as well, too. I mean, is there anything that jumps out at you guys as well? Um, let's, I, I got the big one, Nickelback. That's the punchline for everybody at the moment right now. Like I can honestly say, like, I, if I had to be empirical about it and, and look at myself right now, I don't know any Nickelback. I think I've probably heard two Nickelback songs in passing. Photograph? Is that them? Yep, 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 yep. That's the one. That's the one I know. Rock, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, that's that's Nickelback. Oh my god, am I going to defend Nickelback here? I'm gonna, I'm gonna. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm not going to start by saying I like Nickelback because I don't like Nickelback. So wait, Steve, did you bring up Nickelback as a band that is unfairly hated or that is commonly hated upon? That is almost universally hated on. That's true. Millions of people bought Nickelback albums. And very few of those people want their money back. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're just middle schoolers who are too shy to ask for their money back. Well, that may be. But I feel like in the same way that, say, you and I, Cole, maybe we'll get a kick out of an old Styx record that pops up once in a while. Styx was hated by members of the rock elite Mm -hmm. in their era, the same way that Nickelback is being currently hated now. And I feel the hate comes from those who just don't buy the albums. I don't, I, I it's not to me the, their fan, there's fan bases for all of these bands. And I guess they should be, um, I don't, left alone? I, I, mean, I <laughs> leave, leave Nickelback back alone. <laughs> what is wrong with all of you people? Yeah. Uh, so I used to host a karaoke night and I did sing, um, what's the name of the song? This is How You Remind Me. Like that Nickelback. They're like their first single. Yeah. I believe that was their first single. I, I like that song. For one, I sang it one time and the circumstances were, I, I felt like it was one, one of the few times I've been held hostage at a karaoke night. Ah. Uh, we had a, a bartender who was filling in for our regular bartender and, uh, she was, she was a spark plug like every time somebody <laughs> left her any amount of loose change she would throw it in their face like I, this is the one time this person ever worked at this bar before but wow. like she was like ultra aggressive about a lot of things but she liked the way i sang so she said you're singing a song for me and she signed me up for this song <laughs> and i and i was like oh nickelback but it's like i'm really scared of this person so i better sing it so then i'm singing this song and she gets on stage and this was at the buddha belly uptown and there's a pole in the middle of the stage so she gets on it and she's a very talented pole dancer it turns out she's doing like the spins with her like knees upside down like going crazy and everything like that and i'm just like this person will kill me if i don't do a good <laughs> song or if i make fun of nickelback right now and then she goes over to a tip jar, grabs a handful of money out of the tip jar, and then stuffs it in my pants. <laughs> Just stuffed it straight in my pants. And I, I apologized to my co-host, and I said, I have to go home now. And I left, and I went back to her apartment, which was walking distance away. And I remember taking my pants off and money raining from my pants at the night. So that is, that is uh, when I think of Nickelback, I think back to that, that one karaoke night. <laughs> Huh. I have no real strong opinions one way or another about Nickelback, <laughs> and nor do I have extensive experiences that would have led me to feel one way or another. They do seem like a band that everyone just, that has become more of a punchline, and I do think that most of the people who hate on Nickelback haven't actually listened to more than one or two of their songs. Exactly. I, I, I'm in perfect agreement with that. Um, you know, one of my favorite bands, um, I'm going to admit this on a podcast for uh, history, is Leonard Skinnerd. 
And 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 the reason is I feel it's it's where you grow up. And I was growing up a Southern Bayou boy, growing up in Lafayette, having to travel uh, through Terrebonne Parish a lot, and listening to ninety-eight point one The Eagle, based out of Baton Rouge. <laughs> and my dad would drive, you know, the stick shift Toyota. We'd listen to Freebird on the way to my grandma's house. And and you know, I feel like if you're a country boy somewhere in the flyover states of America in Kansas, yeah, you're gonna put on Nickelback while you load up the back of your Ford truck. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that. Dude, they're Canadian. How is that representing the Deep South? I well, guess. so is the band. Yeah, I was there about are, to say. There are a lot of... There are a lot of can- <laughs> or, oh, uh, who's that? The, the female country singer. Shania Twain. Shania Twain. Very American sound. Super Canadian. The guess who? Writers of American Woman. Canadian. Well, yeah. that's their perspective. They think American women are really awesome. I mean... It's, yeah, it's it's a rarity it takes an outsider Canadian. to know, I exactly, guess. Exactly. <laughs> so. Cool. Um... Let's, yeah, I guess let's uh, let's pivot. Let's talk. We talked a little bit. Nickelback, kind of unfairly hated, mostly by people who haven't listened to a lot of Nickelback. I'm sure there are people who have listened to a lot of Nickelback because their kid sister loves it or something, and that really do hate it for valid reasons. We also might have just lost half our viewership or by by defending Nickelback or at least yeah. retaining a, <laughs> an ambivalence to Nickelback. I feel we're in the middle. We shouldn't lose anybody. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, wrong. let's talk about. I want to talk about some cocktails. That Ooh. there are a lot of I, what I consider to be classic cocktails that bo- some bars will just refuse to make, just not even entertain the possibility of making these cocktails. The two that come to mind most readily are the Long Island iced tea and a dirty martini. I remember talking when I was in Portland for Portland Cocktail Week in 2013 to a bartender from a craft cocktail bar. I can't remember where the bar was or what it was called, but he said he literally would not make a dirty martini. And I, was, I asked if he had olives, and he said, yes. And he said, so you have olive brine? He's like, yes. And I was like, for your owners know that when somebody orders a dirty martini for, as, an, as the owner of a bar, that's great because you actually replace something that costs money for you with something that is free and you can charge the same amount for it. So that's great from a costing standpoint. What's the only reason not to make this drink for this person is because you don't deem it worthy of your <laughs> establishment. And I think that, and he was like, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll make him a vodka martini and then do a, a spritz of Islay scotch over the drink. And that'll get that briny quality that they're looking for. It's like, no, it won't. Yeah. That's not what they want. Just, you have the ability to say yes. Why aren't you saying yes to that drink? Yeah, that whole, uh, I'm going to teach them. Because I know better. Yeah, it's really it's elitist. Yeah. So what about the LIT? The Long Island Iced Tea. People hate on it because the kind of people who order it, it seems like oh they're just trying to get drunk, and that it doesn't taste good, that it's too strong because it has all these different spirits in it. But it's a, it's it's a split base sour. If you're only putting and it, yes, it's got four different kinds of hard liquor in it. But if you follow the most recipes, you're only putting a half ounce of each liquor in it, and then a half ounce of a liqueur, which is less alcohol than is in most people's Manhattan recipes. You know, you're not, and yeah, you're mixing it with some soda and some sugar, so maybe your body absorbs it a little bit faster. And it's a bit, and it's a sour, so people might drink it a little bit faster also. But ultimately, you're not really getting people drunker by giving them a Long Island iced tea versus giving them a Manhattan. All you're doing is 
showing your elitism by turning up your nose at this plebeian cocktail. Well, it's a misperception of volumetric drinking as well, like a bigger drink being a more alcoholic or a stronger drink as well, because a typical Long Island's going to come out in like a pint glass or something like that, or a larger glass as opposed to a dainty coupe glass full of Manhattan <laughs> or, or martini. Uh, Mikey, you seem to like cocktails. You ordered daiquiris from me, and you haven't thrown anything back at me, so. Yeah, I, I don't have... You see, I... I have a strong sweet tooth, so the, the, I am definitely a fan of the sweeter cocktails. Um, you know, to me, I don't have any cocktails that are on my must-not-drink list. Um, I will say I sort of have a diversion to hoppy beers and definitely IPAs. That's definitely something uh, coming out of sort of the Austin craft beer scene <laughs> where I live for a number of years and definitely now working in a movie theater that's also a bar mm-hmm. um, and having those beer options at my disposal for my shift drinks. Um, I definitely stay away from the hoppier stuff, and so I have an aversion to that. But there's nothing that I would tell our bartenders at the movie theater not to serve to someone. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no banned cocktail. List. We have a limited selection of liquor right. at our bars. So. Is there any cocktail that you saw? Uh, like, it, like if you were in, in mixed company and somebody ordered a cocktail, you'd be like, well, that's gross. Is there anything <laughs> like that? If it had more than one umbrella, I'd probably oh, God, be against it. If it came in like a fishbowl style dish, yeah. you know, those would be the ones that I would kind of. A small, small point of preference here. Uh, I'm a big tiki fan. So, <laughs> so more umbrellas and fishbowls, please. Oh my gosh. Uh, we have a regular here, uh, uh, David, who uh, one of the things we do to kind of make fun of him a little bit, I, you know, in good jest, of course, is to over garnish his drink. And uh, this last time around, uh, I had this idea to try and stack cocktail umbrellas because the top's paper and the bottom's a sharp toothpick. So I stacked three umbrellas on top of each other, <laughs> reaching towards the heaven. I felt like, I don't know, the Tower of Babel or something like that. It was, David, it was a beautiful garnish. David's drink is a vodka Sprite, by the way. <laughs> this is this is what we're building <laughs> these elaborate garnishes around, typically. And, and it's so funny because there's uh, there's a bartender here who makes me a, a wonderful drink, and she, she designs the drink beautifully, but the drink is, in fact, an orange crush. It's not a cocktail. It's just a straight can of Orange Crush. But the way that she presents it, people are always coming up to me at the quiz table like, what did you buy? (laughs) It's special. It's off the menu. Steve, do you have any cocktails that you feel are unjustly maligned in that way? Do I? Oh, please tell. Um, I'm I'm going to take a different tact tact on this a little bit because um, I think that sometimes, like, you know, with the cult of cocktail perception as well, it's just like there's things that everybody has to be like, this is an amazing thing and and um, I don't think that this drink in particular is a bad drink I think it's a fantastic drink I just hate making it and when people order it um I think that like they know that it's a bit of a pain in the butt um, <laughs> and it's the Trinidad sour I hate making that drink because like I just know what the cost of, of opening a bottle of Angostura and pouring out an ounce of Angostura for a drink it's it's silly to me you know it's it's a good drink but like this whole idea of like people taking straight shots of Angostura or like using it I mean Angostura came out with their own Amaro recently and it's not in our market but I see that as being a, like a good replacement but like Every time I have to open up that super stain-worthy bottle and I have to get my fingernail underneath, like, the thing to pop the top off, I think that's unsanitary and gross, and it gets all over the place, and then sometimes people leave the dasher top off of the bitters bottle, and then, like, you go to go pour bitters, and you just, like, put, like, <laughs> an ounce in there, and, like, I just, in my head, like, managing bars, the cost idea of that just, like, just drives me super batty, like, just, like, like 
I don't have a button on my computer for Angostura. You don't have a button for an ounce of Angostura coming out. And I just don't, like, I know that drink's good. I think that, and this is just my perception, I think the people who order it are being a little bit of an elitist, unfortunately. I don't think know if it's like just like, this is my favorite drink of all time. Um, it's more of just like a, hey, I know this drink, so I'm really in the know kind of thing. And um, that might be unfair of me. Um, uh, one of my really close friends, Jonathan Chuck, he has a great affinity for Angostura. And that's not just a, oh, I'm just trying to be cool. He just really loves it. So when he asks for a shot of Angostura, it's because it's something, it's a flavor profile he really likes. He drinks Underberg as well. He likes those super herbaceous digestives. But... Just as a common drink, I mean, there's bars out there I've I've seen that have like Angostura bitters on tap, I think as well too, and um, it's it's just not for me. Uh, it's not for me, and it it does. I would, truth be told, it does grate me a little bit. Just kind of like using that product in that manner. I think using that product in that manner also threatens to really cause some serious upheaval in the bitters industry. Bitters are designed to flavor-wise be unpalatable, which is why you can sell them on grocery store shelves outside of the spirits aisle, because you can, you're can you not selling what is designed to be a potable alcohol product. So the fact that Angostura is starting to be used as a straight spirit, essentially, as, the, as, a, as a base spirit instead of as an adjunct that you're using in dashes at a time, really, it, like, if if the government decides to start cracking down and recategorizes bitters as a potable like thing that people will drink, which, to be fair, it is, and maybe it should be categorized that way, that really has the chance to disrupt what is a boom industry right now in, the, in, in bitters. So, so for the less bar-inclined person who may be listening to this podcast, <laughs> are you telling me that I could go into a local Rouse's right now buy a bottle of these bitters, not be carded, go home and get drunk? That is an option. It would be misusing those products. It would be technically using them in a manner for which they are unintended. But yes, they will not kill you, and they will get you drunk if you drink sufficient quantities of them. A lot, I think. But then again, you could also, I mean, the, the same thing applies with, uh, mouthwash. extract. No, mouth, mouthwash, <laughs> that's the, that's the bad kind of alcohol. Yeah. That's the kind of alcohol that will kill you fast. <laughs> my, my friend's dad used to tell us that it, there's two kinds of alcohol. It's the kind of kills you fast, the kind of kills you slow. <laughs> mouthwash is the kind of kills you fast. And bitters, it was the kind that kills you, kills you slow. But it's, it's akin to, uh, extracts, like a vanilla extract is a very, very high amount of alcohol by volume, but it tastes so vanilla-y that nobody actually uses it to get drunk. Also, it's not cost-effective to get drunk that way. It's much cheaper to actually <laughs> buy potable spirits. Right. And then, like, the thing that also drives me a little bit crazy, too, is at that point, once, like, you know, bitters... If bitters were to be reclassified as alcohol, then they have to go through all the regulations that alcohol distribution goes through, especially sizes of bottles would have to change as well, too, if it's seen as a consumable alcohol product, like a liqueur, as opposed to bitters. That's why I think you can away with their sizes of bottles, right? Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. I'm no expert, but it's, it stands to reason. The bureaucracy is ridiculous. So I sound like an old man, and some people are probably going to hate that opinion, but, you know, it's just, <laughs> just my opinion, and this is my podcast, so, you know, <laughs> kick rocks. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, y'all. So uh, um, let's let's transition a little bit here now. Um, we're going to talk about we're going to go around the table real quick and just talk about one thing that we hate that we hate. Um, not in a word like I hate, but like as an I hate on that. You know, like a little bit less, a little bit more. Like I just severely dislike that. 
almost unjustly. Just something in my head that's like that. Also, we're going to talk about one thing that is unfairly hated upon that we think is, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't deserve the amount of hate that it's getting. So, who wants to start? Well, guess first. I'm, I'm going to kick off with one thing that I absolutely, totally, bitterly hate. Like, right. I'm not, I'm going to throw away your format here for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that is the Stargate franchise. <laughs> oh my god, I'm just gonna clap right here. Um, I like the first movie. I, I never boo, watched the TV shows. No, my sister's a fan. She so, likes so, sci-fi um, series. There, there was a uh, Geeks Who Drink quiz, uh, a very famous example, uh, in which I asked a question about Stargate, and like two people in the crowd were really excited when I gave back the answer for it. And so I said, will all the Stargate fans please rise you know be stand up and show yourselves and then i proceeded to bash them for five minutes for loving not five minutes but i bashed them pretty hard um stargate is a bad movie that turned into a bad tv show that turned into a bad spinoff and at no point has this show risen above the badness of its initial concept as well with that too I feel Stargate was one of the very first movies that I can remember seeing pre- previews for, mm-hmm. and it made a preview seem so much cooler than what the movie was. Because it was Absolutely. that teaser where it was like, here's this gate, and oh my gosh, these guys are going to walk into this gate. And then it's like, they went to Egypt-ish? I don't know, like, what? The concept falls apart very, very rapidly. It's a boring, Whatever happened to willing movie. suspension of disbelief? You got Kurt Russell, you got James Spader, you got that, being a bad that movie. person who was from the crying game, that sort of gender ambiguous villain there's a and lot of cool stuff going every, on in that movie all the the cool water effects and the gate itself mikey it was will neat. you berate him it for was five neat. minutes yes. for me please that because, movie was neat because i can tell you from the craft services on up to the director everyone involved in stargate has done something better with their life than stargate <laughs> The writers and directors went on to do Independence Day, which was a far better movie than Stargate. James Spader went on to do better work in television. Kurt Russell has always done better and work film than Stargate. Is that, is that Roland Emmerich? Yes. yes. Roland Emmerich did Stargate. Has yeah. done much better stuff than Stargate. He made one movie that was better than Stargate. I think he continues to just do terrible things and make decent previews. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But Stargate, to me, has, has never been good. And it's one of these things where I feel like sci-fi fans try to love something in order to have a flag and a banner to carry and damned be the quality. Mm. Sometimes star sci-fi fans just grab something because they want to own it. Right. And so I think Stargate fans just want to own Stargate. I almost feel the same way about Event Horizon. That came up recently as well. Too. Uh. Just like as a sci-fi horror movie, which is like a great genre. I mean, Alien is such a great there movie. And a, the, the, well, I won't say the franchise because that franchise has gotten off kilter and might be coming back on the rails. But definitely the first two movies, I mean, there's so many great elements. And then like when I hear Event Horizon, I'm just like, ah, I really hate this. It's Paul W. Anderson, I think. And yep, yep. He's a hack. Anywho, Cole, what do you what do you hate, Cole? You know, it's something that I think gets misused. I think more than I, I think dress codes are something that uh-huh. I really I tend to dislike the implementation. I think there's a lot of elitism in the craft cocktail world, and I think that is to the detriment of growth in the industry, or at least in this sector of the industry. One of the things we try to do here at 12 Mile Limit is to make cocktails accessible to a general population, because I think people associate them with this level of snobbery because they've come out of, primarily come out of these bars that are very snobby. And bars that have a dress code that say, oh, only somebody with a suit and tie 
can come in here that reinforces the perception that cocktails and cocktail culture is something that can only be pursued by an elite. And greater than that, I think a lot of times dress codes are subtle ways to enforce uh, racist standards. When you mm. see somebody that's like, oh, no baggy pants, you know who they're talking about when no, they say no baggy. No white tank tops. Yeah, no white tees. No, no hoodies. No hoodies. Exactly. Like, you know why that is, that's not saying, oh, we, and, and you know what? If I, as a white man, showed up wearing a hoodie at one of those places, I bet I'd be let in. They're like, that's not, that's not what they're doing. They're trying to, maintain a, to a certain extent it's like oh we don't want any of that that element but they'll never tell you exactly what exactly that element is they're just oh no no you know dangerous people people who don't respect what we're trying to do here they'll never exactly come out and tell you why they don't want people with baggy pants in the bar but it's not just because people with baggy pants can't appreciate cocktails the way mm-hmm. the rest of us can i'll tell you that yeah i, I don't i can't think of any bars recently that have dress codes um i think the one thing that people will point to as an example is like oh yeah well cure has a dress code it's like cure hasn't had a dress code since i don't know the first like six months the place was open and that was for very different reasons that was more just just as a model of some of these places trying to create a different atmosphere like that was that was kind of the model of the bar and i don't feel that that really was like elitism or anything like that that was just the style of like the violet hour at the time too where just like you know you you're you're presenting yourself in a certain manner to have an experience. Um, I think that that is passe, obviously. It doesn't work in New Orleans because it's so hot that pants <laughs> in like the summertime doesn't really work. But, uh, I, I, can you think of any, any modern cocktail bars at all that are, there's, have a- there's a bar that I heard recently that opened in Atlanta and it just seemed like the worst possible. It was, is an eighties business themed bar. Essentially, it was like a wall street themed bar where all of their drinks were like the Gordon Gecko. And I was like, what about this sort of like slick? And they had a dress code that was very, very strict and strictly enforced. I was like, this just seems like the worst that's the kind of people you want? It's like, oh, yeah, we don't want thugs. We just want corporate criminals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this Cocaine what? flowing like a river through our bar. <laughs> I, uh, I have to change my list right now, or my choice. So uh, I think your choice was a little bit more serious than me and Mikey's here. Uh, I'll just move on to mine real quick. LaCroix or LaCroix. Or Boo. I believe it's pronounced LaCroix. Boo. LaCroix. Um, and I don't think it's not tasty or anything like that. I just don't understand it. And like people kind of walk around with it. And so like, it's just, I just, I know it's cheap sparkling water, but there is cheaper sparkling water out there. I prefer Topo Chico or I have a can, a can of Canada dry in front of me right now. But like the arguments people will have about different flavors as well is like, I just don't care. Oh, I love like, that mango. So, so I'll tell you this because this is, this is a true story. I did not even know the concept of soda water or club soda mm-hmm. prior to drinking LaCroix. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I lost 60 pounds several years ago drinking mostly LaCroix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've since switched to Topo Chico and sparkling water and soda water and whatever is available. <laughs> but at the time, I swore up and down that LaCroix was the secret to my success. I guess there's some good because things. Getting people off of, available. Yeah, getting people yeah. off of the soda habit is really it's great a very as well. Good and as, as, somebody, as somebody who doesn't... <laughs> I no longer drink a lot of alcoholic beverages and there do seem to be a real shortage of things that meet three specific criteria something that is zero calorie that also is zero caffeine but has flavor and lacroix 
Pronounce it how you want. I don't know. Um, that it, it meets all of those criteria. And for me, as somebody who's looking for more options that don't have alcohol, that don't have sugar, that don't have caffeine, but still have flavor, that's that's one of the better ones. And it's relatively affordable. Mm-hmm. I have a, I do have a problem with Topo Chico, and I actually had two things down here that I unfairly hate on. My problem with Topo Chico is the same as the thing that I wrote down as things that I don't like. This isn't. I, this won't go so far as to hate. But I think the trend of Mexican Coke I, is a huh. really, really overrated. The flavor difference between Mexican Coke and American Coke is negligible. It is present, but it's negligible. I think, I mean, the, you can, but I, and I think most people say that the difference is it involves having the real sugar. And I think there, you can make a real argument for the, why corn sugar is cheaper in the United States than cane sugar and whether or not those subsidies should exist and the dangers of having them in place. But any, ecological argument in favor of Mexican Coke, I think is completely undone by the fact that you're shipping large amounts of heavy glass containers internationally. Like those, the, the fuel costs, I was like, no, we can make this in cans that it's domestically close to the, where you're going to be selling them. And you're also, in addition to shipping these heavy things internationally, which has a huge ecological footprint, you are also taking glass bottles from an in, from a, a an economic ecosystem in which they will not only be recycled but reused, which is something that Americans should really start doing with glass containers. Every other country in the world does it. There's no reason we need to take glass containers, crush them, melt them, and then turn them into the exact same glass container that they were before. You can just clean them out. And taking a bottle out of that ecosystem and bringing it to a place where that's not the practice, I think, does real damage. Cole, we have a much better system. We just dig a big hole and throw it in there and forget about it. Yeah, that'll work. America. <laughs> I, I, gosh, I, mean, I don't know, man. I, I I had much lighter picks on this, I guess. But I mean, like, now you're making me feel bad that I was saying I love Topo Chico, because I do love Topo Chico. It's just, I love Topo Chico. It's got that high carbonation. There it's you just go. very refreshing. I've got a case of Topo Chico in my house right now. <laughs> my girlfriend has one waiting for me when I get home every night. You're both monsters. <laughs> yes, that's that's true, but for All other right. reasons. Well, I'm, I'm about to be a real monster, because here's the thing that I believe is unfairly, oh, unfairly maligned, and... uh going to get some hate from a lot of music fans for this one. Uh, I adore, and I'm going to admit this for the first time in years, I still love Sublime. Oh! I still oh, love no. Sublime. And I know I'm going to get hate for this. Oh, I'm going to get some hate I'm, for this. I'm with you there, I'm like, I listen to a lot of Sublime through most of high school and college. I listen to a lot of Sublime. To the degree of like, I have the acoustic album, I have, I have the live album. I have the real monster here, Cole. I th- we put Sublime in the jukebox at one point. The problem with Sublime that I have isn't the music. I think Brad Bradley Noel, you can argue about whether or not he was especially talented, but I like a lot of the music. Um, I don't like a lot of Sublime fans. Absolutely. I think that's the problem. There we go. It's not the people, it's not the music, it's the people who listen to the music exactly. <laughs> that, that tend to bother me. And, and, and that is true. That's the problem with, with admitting that you like Sublime is that you get bunched in with the vast majority of Sublime fans. I think that's a good point, though. Like, like a lot of these bands and the music that we do hate too like how much of that is actually derived by the fandom rather than the actual band like to me like nickelback nickelback well, fans are the worst. I, have, I haven't met a nickelback <laughs> fan, so i don't really know what that's like but uh i think the grateful dead for one thing like that's a big one i mean like i don't dislike the grateful dead but i also don't want to listen to somebody talk about 
like how genius they are for like 10 hours like and just be like dude you just don't understand it's like well now i understand that i really don't like this <laughs> so you've done a great job i think my, my take on the grateful dead is i actually really prefer their studio work to their live work which is something that just is an anathema for a lot of grateful dead fans it's like no they were really excellent songwriters and musicians they wrote these really tight like folk pop enduring classics and then they would go live and just jerk off on stage for hours <laughs> oh. oh yeah there there goes the other half of our viewership <laughs> <laughs> bye this was fun all right um well i guess back to me i'm, I'm still a little bit shell-shocked from sublime honestly like i, I, just, I don't know. you listen I don't know to robin the hood from start to finish and you're gonna see some amazing stuff going on and also the horrors of heroin addiction really you'll discover that about them i've got that in common with the grateful dead i guess that is true. um all right well uh to my thing um i don't know how this will be uh, received at all but uh, things that are unfairly hated on and honestly i think it's been hated so much that people started cutting them off it's their man buns mm. man buns being hated on and being turned into this new like this is the new hipster style everybody's putting their hair up into this man bun thing i had long hair for really long hair for quite a while like i, I think uh when i first met you cole i still had like a ton of hair but a lot of people who knew me back then didn't know that i had long hair because it was always tied up in a either a bun or a ponytail or something like that just because it's hot as hell down here and i don't know it's just one of those things but like you know just seeing people be like these these people with their man buns walking around how dare they they're the worst types of people or something like that and i'm just like why what, what is this the thing i think a lot of times too it's like some of these fashion trends that people like just want to just be like oh that idiot or that horrible person or that that hipster i hate that word i hate that <laughs> the whole hipster word because it's become this catch-all to like just you know i don't know to kind of justify your unacceptance of like you know new fashion trends or technology or a ton of different things but every generation has had that hippie yuppie hipster um trying to think what the 90s version was that's it that's that's my thing like and i grew up in the 90s as well and the thing is like you know slacker it was just slacker was the thing but i mean that was like that whole like don't give a shit attitude for it, like pervaded so much thing like fashion like fashion's boring in the 90s for the most part either it's like to some extreme or it's things don't like you remember hyper colors don't you remember plaid plaid was king i know but that's it's boring it's just black it's just like what did you wear uh ripped just jeans and a plaid <laughs> <laughs> i have a lot of check shirts i do too <laughs> it's a good pattern on me but it's just uh, it's just um I don't know, like, like fashion statements are extreme now. And even something that I think is simple is like, I don't think a man bun's that big thing. It's just some, some way that people with long hair put their hair up, but then it's just like lashed on to like being, becoming like one of these hater punchlines on jokes. I think even the term man bun is just dripping itself with hate. It's like, what, why? What? So do you hate the fact that men have long hair and put it up? It, would it be okay if they just let it flow? Do you hate, it's like, do you, do you hate when, like, a woman puts her hair up in a bun? That's not a problem. What, why? What about mm. the, it, and the thing is, it's not, it's not the style itself. It's the people who wear it. Again, same, it's kind of same like, like Sublime. It's like, what, oh, cause this insufferable asshole has a man bun. All of these people have man buns. You, you know, and it's, it's the people who have them that people are railing against. But you're, if you're just judging people based on their hairstyle, that really reflects more on you. when I see hear people hate on somebody's hairstyle. We're whatever the hairstyle is, reverse mohawk. I don't care. Whatever <laughs> dumb thing you're doing with your hair. If somebody's like, "Oh god, that's new trend of hair is like so dumb." It's like I think less of the person who's judging the hairstyles than I do of the hairstyle wearing person. 
Right on. Uh, well, uh, we're pretty much at the uh, at that time once again. Um, we might seem like a hateful trio of people, or people who are trying to take a little bit of hate out of this world at this point. I think it'd be great if we uh, just ended on something really positive real quick. Uh, the Nintendo Switch came out last Friday, so... It is wonderful. It is the my pride and joy. I love it almost as much as my girlfriend, Allison, but... Uh, for, <laughs> once again, forever recorded on a podcast. But, but I love her more, and I wanted to put that on the podcast. Ah. Nice, nice. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Nintendo, once again, is pulling us all together, and uh, we've got some positive things to focus on in this world. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, this has been Around with Stephen Cole. I'm Steve Yamada. I am T. Cole Newton. And I'm Michael Deming. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.